0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Please be seated. I was uh, born in the 80s, but I'm really a product of the 90s. Growing up, I saw my own uh, share of fads that came and went. For us kids of the 90s, it was uh, we were all mixed up in things like uh, beanie babies, bleached hair, uh Starter jackets, I think I had a, probably a, a, a White Sox one at that time. I'm now a Cubs fan, I've relented. Um, repent. Repented, sure. <laughs> Relentlessly repented. Um, uh, what else? We had, oh, of course, the boy bands, In Sync, right? Backstreet Boys, they're back. Um, that's a, you, maybe you get it, I don't know. I wondered about this beginning part of the sermon. (laughs) Um, But for me, it was uh, Michael Jordan's Chicago Bulls, the three-peat-repeat of the 90s. Uh, But the 90s also saw the resurgence of another so-called sport, and I don't mean to offend here, but it saw the resurgence of uh, the professional wrestling phenomenon. I never cared too much about it, Most of my my friends didn't really care, but I had some friends that were were big into professional wrestling. I've always thought it was a lot of hype for intense choreography. So um, take that for what you will. But one thing that did catch my attention during all this hoopla of uh, professional wrestling was something that actually bothered me. It was the perversion of John 3.16 by wrestler Steve Austin when he renamed it Austin 316, after a so-called victory in the ring. I suppose he was jumping on the 316 train. It had become a thing to see it on big poster signs at sporting events, written on book covers, and even on bathroom stalls. It's such an iconic verse that it has its own page on Wikipedia, but the page and place it makes most sense on is in our gospel text today, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This verse is far from being a fad, and our Heavenly Father longs for our understanding of it by faith. The gospel message is a wonderful one and always relevant one for us. How Jesus saved the world, saved you and I, by reconciling us to himself. Jesus gave up his body in our place on the cross. The father sent his only son to do what the sons of men couldn't do, couldn't accomplish. The, sons of, the son of righteousness gives eternal life so that the world, you and I who perish and die by our sin, can by faith believe and live forever with God. Well, the Father doesn't simply send Jesus into the world to superficially love us in any way, but he sends his Son into the world to sacrificially die for you. To make amends for our sin, he takes our place. Jesus takes our place, our deserved punishment for all the Father's wrath over our sin. And this is called atonement. I'm sure you've heard that word before. But it's the only way that we could have ever received eternal life the life which John 3.16 boasts. We often call this the blessed exchange, where we receive Christ's everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, and he takes in to himself all of our unrighteousness, all of our guilt, and all the curse of our sin. Faith then has a foundation, not in works, as we heard in our epistle text, but in the pure grace of Christ and Christ's action to save you. From all scripture, we clearly see that Jesus is the savior of the world. But what is obvious to us is difficult for the Pharisee named Nicodemus, who we encounter in our text today. He takes in all the signs. He takes in all the teachings, all the miracles of Jesus, but he doesn't know what to do with them. To his credit, he does go to the source, even if he is trying to hide his tracks by going to Jesus in the middle of the night, but he still goes to Jesus. Nicodemus is hoping to have some understanding. There's a lot of 316ers out there. People who think they know Jesus, go to Jesus, but end up with themselves. They turn and make the, the teachings and the miracles of Jesus into a televised verse, a slogan, or mere art. They're not wrong to recognize the greatness of those words, but do they understand them by faith? Does anyone who sees those verses understand it by faith? If we take, for instance, Nicodemus, who is a great ruler of the Jews and a teacher of all of Israel, and the way he understood things... And the way Jesus was speaking to him, we find that Jesus, in response, is saying, You don't get it. You don't understand these things at all. For instance, Jesus says, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus replies, How can a man be born when he is old? Jesus says, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus replies, How can these things be? Nicodemus makes good points from reason, but his understanding only goes as far as he understands himself. Being born again isn't man's work, but Nicodemus is literally confused and confounded how he can enter his mother's womb to be born a second time. Being born of water and of the Spirit it's how we enter God's kingdom by baptism. But Nicodemus again is dumbfounded. How can water do such great things? In the end, Jesus tells Nicodemus, we speak of what we know. We speak of what we know. How true. We don't go much further than our own understanding, and Nicodemus is stuck. Jesus explains how all of creation is caught up in his work, the work of God taking earthly things like water and placing within them the command by God's word through the Holy Spirit to make this water a baptism, a baptism that saves sinners. But if he cannot see that this is the pattern of God to take what is earthly and turn it toward a heavenly cause, Than the testimony of the prophets, all the teachings, all the miracles of Jesus, they won't ever mean a thing to the mind and heart grounded in reason alone. So here Jesus bears testimony about himself before his friend Nicodemus. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is Jesus' final illustration to Nicodemus, to help him understand from what he knows. The story of Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness, taken from an episode of their wandering, how Moses lifted up the bronze serpent in the midst of the wilderness so that those who would peer upon it, would look at it, would see that they are in fact healed in their flesh from the venomous serpent who bit them. Jesus' final appeal to Nicodemus sets him up for when he will piece it all together in the visual of the cross. When Jesus is lifted up in the wilderness, upon the skull and bone mountain outside of Jerusalem, then will Nicodemus hopefully see what he has been blind to thus far. He will have light to clear away the darkness, not only of his mind, but also of his heart. The cross is our point from which we understand the one who descended and from baptism believe in the same Lord Jesus Christ Christ who ascended into heaven. Nicodemus's clarity is our own. Jesus takes the place of Moses' bronze serpent and dies with the magnitude of this world's sin. These are the sins begotten of Adam and Eve when the serpent Satan tempted them into betraying God's command and even now is the poison of the whole world of which we, sadly, are willing participants of sin. The forbidden fruit of Genesis includes that very stark reality that all sin, that each and every one of us fall short of the glory of God, that each of us must have Jesus to have life, and to receive the kingdom comes from receiving rebirth through baptism. The one tree and fruit, by one tree and one fruit, Man partook of his own fate and turned his back on God, yet Christ openly turned to man and partook of another tree, the cross, the pole of the serpent Satan, that the fruit of that tree would bring us out of sin's hiding place, from every evil of thought, of word and of deed, and into the light and life of Jesus Christ our Lord." So we have in ourselves the same reason and mind of Nicodemus. Tracking our comprehension of things by our own understanding of what can be seen and what can be known. But God sees and God knows our hearts even as we are in darkness and lack faith. It is to that end that he came. It is to that end that the Father sent his Son to shine in our lives the light of his love in order that the world, that you, would be saved through Jesus from the condemnation that we all deserve. The love of God is no fad. That you can be sure. Jesus empties himself on the cross to fill us with his life. He fills the darkness of our heart shuts it out, and places within it the light of his illuminating word, filling us with a new and contrite spirit in the holy baptism that he has given to you. So rejoice in your baptisms. Give thanks to God for having sent his son Jesus because he died for you, he rose for you, and he continues to give good gifts to you in word and in sacrament. The Father gave His Son because He loved and loves you now still. And He loves all the world. This is why He has given of Himself sacrificially, unconditionally, and always without end. In the name of Jesus, Amen.